Good to see you all this morning, and we're uh, working through this book. Hopefully you've enjoyed it thus far, working through the book of Acts. You can grab your Bibles and start turning there this morning. We're in Acts chapter 3, and we've titled this uh, series, The Original Church. And really, that's what we've looked at thus far, is the account of the beginning of the very first church and what the life in that church looked like. Last week was really especially fun, just seeing all the uh, the favor that this group of new believers was having and God was using them. Well, well this morning I want to take just a, a brief detour before we dive into the text just to talk about who all these folks are following. I think that's a, a good reminder for us on occasion to remember who it is we're literally following, Jesus Christ. And one of the, the I wouldn't say one of, the most compelling person to ever walk this earth, literally perfectly navigating. And one of the things as I look at the life of Christ as to what is most compelling about his life was the way that he perfectly, perfectly sees the moments that his day allotted. Sees the moments. In other words, he was perfectly present in every situation. He was there, and if you think about it, if you read the account of Jesus' life, you're like, man, it just seems kind of like where he went wherever his day would take him. I'm like, yeah, kind of that's how he, he did because he had one mission and really the only thing that he needed in order to accomplish his mission was people because he was so committed in his life to meeting the needs either physically or spiritually of the people that crossed his path. That's really where his day took him. He masterfully captured or seized the moments that his day provided. Whether he's at a wedding and he's providing the, the drinks for everyone, whether he's in a large crowd and providing the food, whether he's giving a, a challenging word to a prostitute, whether he's rebuking a religious leader, he always had the right thing to say at the perfect time. Anybody else wish you could live that kind of a life where you're seizing the moment, saying the right thing at the right time, being fully present? But then you think of what keeps us from that. You're like, man, but I wear so many hats Anybody in here feel the weight of some of the hats you wear, like consistent? I'm not talking about like physical hats. I'm saying like the, the different responsibilities as grown-ups that we carry, whether it's the, the parent hat, whether it's the employee hat, that's a big one, or even employer hat, that's sometimes a stressful one as well, the provider hat, the disciplinarian hat, the house cleaner hat, anybody feel like that's you sometimes, the taxi hat, parents also get that one, counselor hat, friend hat comforter hat, student hat, all these different hats that we tend to wear in our day, we think that should restrict us from being able to have an impact. But what I think we learn from the life of Jesus Christ is it dis doesn't matter what hat you're wearing, you have the opportunity and potential to maximize the different encounters wherever your day takes you. Wherever you're at. That's what I loved about Jesus' life, and that's what we're going to see here in the story of these two apostles showing up in this scenario and literally being fully present, seizing moments. I would love for us to be a church of folks that maximize the limited moments that we have, seizing the moments for Christ's glory and honor. Let me pray as we dive into this text. God, thank you so much for this chance to be together and to be in your word uh, this morning and to be present fully just even in, in worship, that we could engage in that with freedom to be able to put the spotlight on you appropriately. We ask now that you teach us through this text that we'd be moment Caesars in this room, that we'd capitalize on the different areas that you place us in and the different 
uh, relationships that you've have crossed our paths on a on a daily basis, God, that we'd literally learn these different lessons of the, from the apostles as they model their life, and we want to model our life after you. Pray this in Jesus Christ's name, Amen. So, looking at the text, we're going to work through the chapter three or through all of chapter three in Acts and start just kind of chunk by chunk talking through it. The first thing that I'd propose, they, these guys did a great job of directing their gaze to the needs around them. It says this, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask for alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. I'll give a little explanation here. First off, I think it's important to know who the different characters are in our story. The first two you'd recognize, Peter and John, obviously two of the 12 disciples, obviously also close friends. A lot of times in Scripture you see them traveling together. They're the first to arrive uh, at the at the tomb after the resurrection, you might remember that account. They're, they're close friends. They were actually in a fishing business before being called to be uh, disciples of Christ. So they obviously have a background together. They're here entering the temple. And what does it say that they're going to do? They're coming to uh, be there for the time of prayer. Basically, in the, the temple worship, they had three different times of prayer. You can read about them in Psalm fifty-five, seventeen. It's something they continued with. From the Old Testament, from 9 a.m., noon, and here they're arriving at 3 p.m. So the church had three different times to pray, and you could choose one of those times to, to come. We're implementing that this week, and so I want all of you here every day this week at 3 o'clock. Yeah, can you imagine? Um, uh, so that, that was what I do find fascinating, though, is Christianity wasn't intended to replace. Judaism, but literally to fulfill it, something that they were continuing in worship there in the temple at three o'clock was this especially noted time because that's when they are also bringing their different uh, sacrifices before the Lord. So it was the most popular time of the three where the crowds would have been the largest. So therefore, the prime time for someone that was going to be asking for money to come and be set up. And notice in the text that we're introduced to the Third character there, this man that's been lame from birth, not somebody that was in a bad accident, not somebody that was injured. This is somebody from birth that's never had the ability to walk, and it says that he's daily laid in front of what was called the beautiful gate. I love how this is not just an account of some made-up story. Literally, you can see still, if you go to the temple, the beautiful gate there, you can see it pointed to Solomon's porch where we're about to see Peter and John speak at, literally prime real estate for people to have the opportunity to give. Beautiful gate, literally the Josephus was a a historian of that day, literally talks about this beautiful gate and taking 20 men to open and close it because it was solid bronze. It was beautiful, ornate, so they're setting up camp outside of this with the opportunity to get as as many resources as possible to provide for this man, and he picked that as his daily spot. But I imagine if you're this man over a period of time, much like some of the poor in our communities today, you start to notice people not taking the time to look 
down at you anymore. The person likely became, this man likely became a little bit more like part of the landscape of the environment there. You know what I'm talking about? How we tend to deal with when we see someone poor, you tend to what? Maybe you choose to look away, even like, oh, why am I doing that? Why am I looking away right now? And so probably he didn't have many people slow down enough to fix their gaze on his needs. But you see, as these disciples are trying to model their lives after Jesus Christ, they're letting their agenda be put on pause with the hope of meeting the need right there in front of them. I'd say as moment Caesars within this room, wouldn't that be a good first step in heading that direction is the ability to literally see the needs around us in our environment. He says, it says that they took time to look down, to literally make eye contact. Isn't that interesting how that's still a form of showing dignity to somebody when you literally make eye contact with them and shows that you value them? So that's the first thing that you notice is they did a great job of taking their eyes off of their agenda. I'm guessing this wasn't part of their plan for the day that they were going to go into the, do, we're going to do this healing thing right at the entrance. It's going to be a great, like, big deal. I just gave away the fact that he's about to get healed. But here we go, verse 6. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. That's like the coolest section of scripture, isn't it? Right, let, let's talk about it just for, for a moment. The first thing is that he said how the last part had been left off was that he invited them to look at us. I would suggest just the way I see that is he's saying, hey, look at us. We're just a couple like broke fishermen. We don't have, we're like we chose to follow Jesus. We don't have a lot of money to our name. We have no gold, no silver. That's often true for somebody that's given their, their life to Christ. We, we don't have, we're just a couple poor fishermen. Look at us. We, we don't have something to offer financially. Remember some years back, we were, had an internship program at the, work, at the church that we were working at, uh, and the interns that were there, they had to raise their own support. And so they didn't necessarily get paid from the church. And so we'd always joke with them about like, hey, don't worry, you're earning your kingdom currency, you know, like, and hey, today we're going to double your salary, like jokes like that, that they didn't find very amusing. I remember one time we even gave them a, a wallet that had inside of it these uh, pre-printed bills that just said kingdom currency. And we're like, look at all this kingdom currency you're getting. Anyway, bad jokes. But yeah, the idea, the idea here, these guys as they're choosing to follow Jesus, they didn't have a ton of resources. And so they say to him, we don't have gold and silver, but what we do have, I give to you. Can you imagine the guys like thinking to himself in those just brief moments, oh man, what are these guys going to give me? Like an old fish hook, a compass? Like what, what am I about to get from, this, from these fishermen? But he doesn't have to wait very long to find out what they're offering because what he was asking for was shortchanging what they are about to be given. You see it there in the text. He literally says, I'm going to literally heal you in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Christ or by the virtue or Jesus' character, by his authority and power, I invite you to stand up for the very first time. Can't imagine that. 
Somebody that's been literally lame from birth. And it, it doesn't say that he, that he just kind of fumbled his way up. It says that what? He leapt up. He leapt up. Now, if there's anybody here that grew up in uh, Sunday school world, anybody here grew up in church world and some of the, remember some of the songs that we sang as kids? Anybody remember a song that we sang related to this, to this particular story? Anybody remember this? Okay, my, my wife does. She's really, I'm going to play this, and feel, once you catch on, feel free to participate if you so choose. Go ahead, check this out. It's real Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He asked for alms and held out his palms, and this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He went walking and leaping and praising God. Go ahead. Come on. All right, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. All right, so now you're going to be humming that the rest of your day, walking and leaping and praising God. That, that's, that's him. He's, he, he's super jazzed. And you, you think about this, like literally never walking from birth. Like you picture, not to, be, not to be dark with this, but picture his legs prior to this. There's no muscle tone on them. There's no, like they're, 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 they're non-existent. As a doctor, you can't even imagine what these legs would have looked like. Instantly, muscles develop. Instantly, ligaments form. Everything needed to, to, to be able to walk. And this is the other fascinating thing. It's not like, yeah, he got the, the ability and then he had to go to physical therapy and gradually learn how to walk like all of us did at one point. No, literally in that moment, all of it came upon him all at once. That's how our miraculous God operates. And then we, we have things in our life where we're just like, I don't know, how, what's God going to do with this situation? I don't know if he can fix it, and I don't know how he's going to solve this. And he's like, man, I can make the lame walk. I can make the person that's never had the ability, I can make them to hop up off the ground. What do our circumstances and issues carry that the man who can literally heal the lame couldn't solve? I love this. And he doesn't choose to to meet him. Do you think he was like, oh man, I was hoping for a little cash today. He gave me this instead. Are you kidding me? Like that's not crossing his mind. He's like, this is the best gift ever. He saw past the one and went directly for the need. Saul passed the one and went directly for the, the need. I, I uh, like it. One pastor titled this sermon, the same section of scripture. He says, he asked for alms, but he was given legs. <laughs> oh, that's last Asked for alms, given legs. He got way more than he ever expected. Oh, that's the best. Okay, sorry. I, I'll be laughing about that for days. Asked for alms, given legs. Uh, but in this, I was thinking about it as we're trying to be moment Caesars, that, that we cannot get distracted with the peripheral things and move towards meeting people what their actual needs are. That's one of the things that, that literally these guys said, hey, I can't give you gold, I can't give you money, but what I can give is something that's going to radically change your life. And we hold the power in the gospel message to do the same thing of redirecting someone's life drastically beyond what they ever asked for. Verse 9, and all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. 
And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. See, all the people recognized him because he, he was part of the landscape. Remember, he's the one that they walked by every day. And so they're just like, wait a second. I know that guy. He can't walk. I, I, that, that's been confirmed for many years. Like, what in the world? And I love it says to describe them. It says they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Love that. I would suggest as adults, we start to allow cynicism and the kind of pace of life and all the different things to kind of steal our wonder. It's attractive when you're around somebody that still gets excited about little stuff, right? Anybody have that person in your life? I, uh, we have some friends visiting from out of town this week and their son, Brayden. Uh, man, that kid gets, kids often get this wonder thing, right? You notice that? This, this Brayden, like anything I bring up, he's like, oh, we went riding in a convertible. This is awesome. Oh, wait, you, you have an airsoft gun and it's automatic. That's awesome. You know, like kids get it, you know? Like, the, like what happens to us as old fuddy-duddies that lose our wonder, I would suggest if you're going to be a moment Caesar, if you're going to be the person that literally maximizes moments, you're more attractive when you have wonder still as part of who you are. That's one of the things that these guys got right. And so he points to the wonder there and notice that it's all directed at giving glory to God for this. And the, the, the next thing you see in this section there is the guys that redirected glory to God rather than absorbing it themselves. Verse 11, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. I pointed that out in the picture. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. First, you notice this guy's clinging to Peter and John. I think that's cool because why? It's so many questions. What, like, what's go, like, what's compelled this? What moved this? What, by what power are you doing this? How is this possible? And he starts talking to the audience. He's seizing the moment because why? God perfectly set this up for a sermon, right? Like, talk about the ultimate, ultimate intro. I would love to have that intro every week. You know, like, heal, heal a new guy, let's talk. Like, like seriously, this is awesome. So he decides to seize the moment, starts talking to him, and starts pointing, answering all these different questions because what does a miracle do? It's, point, it's, it's to bring attention so that you can point to divine truth, and he points to all these different things. He was saying, and he's saying, these things were told to you. This, don't, don't stare at me. Don't, don't wonder about this. Why would you wonder about this? You're the only one that you acknowledge can heal is Almighty God. This is the same God of, uh, of our ancestors. We shouldn't be shocked at seeing, seeing his healing hand now. He pushes them to recognize, wait a second, this is a picture of God at work amongst us. We can't deny that as a physical manifestation of God's work here and now. And he says, oh, don't even think about giving us credit. We're just a couple average Joes. He said, because, because he recognized that all of this does what? Builds a case 
for the validity of who Jesus Christ is. That's what all these things do. And if we're not careful, in the same way that Peter and John could have absorbed that glory for themselves, we're intended to redirect it appropriately. Because otherwise, we're glory thieves. Think about it in a crime show that you watch. What's the number one thing the criminal always tries to do? Break into the place where all the evidence is at and steal the evidence, right? They're always breaking in and stealing it and trying not to get caught with flashlights. Because why? Because if there's no evidence, the glory never, or the, the evidence never builds up and they never able to come to a conclusion about God. For us, the, the call of maximizing moments is looking for opportunities to deflect glory and redirect it to God. Man, wouldn't that be awesome if in our day when somebody's starting to say, like, you really did a good job, Tom, on that business transaction. Well, it's only possible because of almighty God's work in my life. What if we had those kind of conversations? Instead of just quickly, well, thanks, I've been in business for so long, I'm so good at this. You know, instead of absorbing it ourselves, we redirected the glory to Almighty God. That's what these guys do. It puts the spotlight appropriately directed on Christ. He points, he starts pushing a little bit. Uh, he says the, 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 the one that in the presence of, uh, of Pilate, when he tried to release them, Pilate tried to release Christ six times, but he kept on pushing. No, we want to remember, crucify him, crucify him. He's calling him out on that. Look in verse 14 now. Gets a little bit pushier with the, the, the message. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Say, you see, Peter, when he's talking here, I don't know, interpretation by voting, do you think he knew that the things that he's saying is kind of pushing a button? You think he knew this wasn't going to be a popular message to be received? I'm, I'm guessing he knew this was the hard stuff. But isn't that the principle in life that we see so often? Like you got to take somebody often through the hard stuff to get to the good stuff. For these guys, they had to recognize their guilt and their participation in the, in the execution of Christ before they could get to the healing power. We see that even today. I was thinking about a story just from my own life. My, my son, Chase, here's a picture of him when he was real little, super cute. Uh, he had this time where he, he, he tripped and fell and hit, hit something with his head and it's cut open and it's just that miserable feeling where I'm like, man, I don't think super glue is going to do it here. And uh, we tr we've tried that on other occasions. Uh, but here we're like, okay, we're taking him to the hospital, get to the hospital and uh, get, get in the, the, the waiting or the, the area where they do the work. And the doctor's like, listen, uh, we're going we're to have to stitch this up. This one's pretty good. And the doctor says, do you mind helping me out with this process? And I'm like, Sure, I can hold the glue. And, uh, and so, but he's like, no, I, what I need you to do is I need you to take your hand, hands and I need you to grab both of his shoulders and I need you to hold him down while I'm stitching his head. I'm like, ah, oh, 
that's that's crummy. I don't like that idea. But but so so I'll never forget this little one-eyed kid as he's getting this, as he's looking at me, and he has this look at us as I'm holding him with all my strength, and he's looking at me like, Dad, why would you do this to me? Why, why, why would you let this creepy man stick things in my, like, why would you do this to me? He's looking at me, and the whole time, I'm like, son, it's because on the other side of this is healing. On the other side of this, you're going to be restored. It's going to be, like, back to new, you, new you'll be a lady, ladies killer in no time. Like, it's going to, this is going to fix you. It's going to be, it's a good thing. It's necessary part of your healing. And I think of that story when I think of this. These guys, this wasn't something anybody there wanted to hear when they starts telling them, like, oh, you, you denied the holy and righteous one. You, you, you turned him, who was the murderer that they traded him for? What was the name of that guy? Anybody remember that? I didn't get to that in my study. What was it? Just kidding, I did. Uh, but Barabbas, <laughs> but Barabbas, Barabbas is who the trade was for. And, and he's pointing out all these things. You mur- murdered the, the holy and righteous one. Who's holy in Scripture? God's the only one described as holy. So the, it's not confusing what they're, he's claiming about Jesus Christ here. The audience knows it's the same things that had put him on a cross. He's saying, listen, you, you killed the righteous ones, another term for the Messiah. You killed God in the flesh. You literally executed him. He's pushing, pushing because he knows that they have to come to a place where they recognize their sin before they can be a place where they recognize their need to be rescued, right? That's kind of how the whole process works. You got to get to the get through the bad stuff to get through the good to the good stuff. For us, the same is true as moment Caesars. Don't we have to push people through some of the hard stuff? The, oh, recognizing I I have fallen short of a God's perfect standard. Oh, I. I'm not perfect. I do need a savior. Some of the hard conversations and often the conversations that we don't want to have, the ones that you're like, yeah, but I'm going to offend them. They're not going to they're not going to like me after that conversation. Anybody had that thought in your in your process before or like they're they're not going to they don't want to hear what I have to say. But if you think about it, the most loving possible thing we can do as moment Caesars is point them to their desperate need because man, there's a lot at stake there. So he pushes, the, pushes them, nudges them that direction past the hard stuff to get to the hope of Jesus Christ. Look in verse 17. We'll end with this section. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled pointing to the prophecy of Jesus Christ. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from the brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring 
shall all the families be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. You know, that's a lot there, but let's unpack that a little bit. The big idea is he's saying, man, this was, this was promised for a long time. Your ancestors, this is, this is what was foretold, that he would suffer, die. And because of that, your one option, he gives them one glimpse of hope. And he says, and I love he lets them a little bit off the hook. He says, he says it's because of your ignorance. You acted in ignorance, so did your, your rulers. We don't know for sure if that's true. I would suggest maybe some not. But at the same benefit of the doubt that Jesus gave on the cross, forgive them for they know not what they do, right? Same thing as they're modeling Jesus Christ to this group of, of listeners, saying it might have been in ignorance. I'll give you that. But regardless, your one option is what? What does it suggest is the way back? Turn and repent. Repent and turn back. That's the same thing that he keeps pointing them to. You got to acknowledge your sin. Recognize I'm a, I'm a sinner. I blew it. I've fallen short of God's perfect standard. And then the turning back is this idea that that, that repentance comes with a changed life. You can't claim Jesus as Lord and then go back to doing all the same stuff. It wouldn't make sense. He's not Lord until it literally transfers into the way in which you operate. So he points to the rescue option I love this because so often we can be great at pointing to the bad stuff of our culture and world around us, but forget to offer the hope. You forget about that. We're quick to be indicters of compromise and things around us, but here he brings them back. Oh, please, just repent and come back. Look at the outcomes that he points to if they do that. Your sins will be wiped away. There's times of refreshing coming. I'll send you Jesus all of these things will be the outcome of this repentance. The sins wiped away in that day and age I was reading this week in the way that paper worked or papyrus, the inks that they used wasn't acidic so they could write on it and you could take a damp sponge and wipe it right off, kind of like our dry erase boards. So this is the, the picture that he's saying, your sins are going to be wiped completely clean. It won't be able to see it anymore. They're gone off of the page. That's the outcome of embracing Christ. There's going to be times of refreshing. I love that. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's one of the gifts that we have as a follower of Jesus Christ, the refreshment of Christ that he offers. Just a, I, I've gotten into mountain biking a little bit recently and Man, it's hard. It's hard work. It's really hot. Somebody passed on uh, one of those camel pack things. You've seen those before? They have the, the thing that comes around and you can drink from. It's kind of a cool thing. It's kind of weird to have a used one. But anyway, uh, but, uh, but, but anyway, uh, but man, as you're riding and you're struggling, you're struggling, you're like there's that, that quick little time of refreshment. I think that's a, a picture of the Christian life. He's not saying everything is going to be easy, but the Lord offers those moments of refreshment. That's part of the life of a believer. He's pointing to all these different things. And then the ultimate piece, it says, uh, and that he may send the Christ appointed to you for you, Jesus. The best thing that they're going to get, the best outcome of this is something that's been promised for generations, is a restored relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the end game. He's the package. He's the, the gift that keeps on giving in the sense of the Holy Spirit's presence in our life. 
He tries to help them connect the dots with all this. This is something that's been promised from generation to generation. This is what God spoke about from the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. And, in the, and, and feel blessed. I love that he's trying to help them understand. You're the very first people to receive this good news. It, it came through your bloodline. This is, a, this is a big deal. This wouldn't be wise for you to reject it because there's a lot at stake here. We'll end with this. Look at these last words. It says, those who, those who do not, does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. It's like, man, that's kind of intense. So you're like, uh, the pointing to the fact, there's a lot at stake here, right? When somebody doesn't embrace Jesus Christ, there's a lot at stake in this. I was having lunch with a guy last week and uh, just chatting. He's newer to our church and just exploring things of faith. And we're just chatting a little bit. It was talking about the gospel, answering some different questions and he was like, yeah, man, I, I, I'm just uh, soaking all this in. And I was like, man, that's awesome. I want this to be a church where you, where you can do that. I want this to be an environment where that's possible. And he's like, man, I, I don't know that I'm ready to make a decision. I said, man, but let me just elevate just before we wrap up. This is a lot going on. There's a lot at stake here. This is a big deal. I said, listen, if I'm wrong about all of this, at the end of my days, my days were about serving other people, about trying to meet people's needs, about trying to love my family as best as I can. You know, like not, not bad stuff. That's not a bad end to my existence. But if you're wrong, if you miss this whole Jesus Christ thing, it literally impacts your eternity. So have a great afternoon. No, but I was trying, I was trying, no, but I was trying to explain, like there's a there's there's some seriousness to this decision, and that's the same thing that Peter and John are pointing to here, the urgency of the matter for us as moment Caesars. There's a lot to gleam in this text, opportunities that are we're surrounded with. I'm guessing when Peter and John were mapping out their day that day, none of this was on the map. But you see, a lot of times the interruptions that are so desperately needed are ones that we didn't plan for. They're not, they're usually come at probably the most inconvenient possible time, but those are the ones that have the potential to impact so many. My prayer for us, my prayer for me, is for us not to seize all of the moments. What if we just started by seizing a few moments in our week? where we took some chances, we had some conversations, we pushed, pushed the envelope a little bit, where we, where we took the risk of maybe even offending somebody. Imagine that. Let me pray for us as we wrap up. God, I thank you for this awesome example of these two men doing their very best to model you in their day, to maximize their interactions, to take advantage of the opportunity to meet this gentleman's need, this lame guy that went off leaping and praising God. God, we thank you for the miraculous here. We thank you for your invitation to include us on eternity redirecting. God, I pray that we'd maximize even some of our opportunities this week, regardless of the hat that we're wearing. We can only do this, any of this, in your strength. We praise you in Jesus Christ's name. My prayer is that we go into the remainder of our day walking and leaping and praising God and trying not to sing that song we heard in this message. Just a reminder as you're leaving today, uh, we have uh, our deacons fund, which we give to once a month to be able to bless some of the, meet some of the needs in our communities, 
specifically going towards people that are maybe struggling literally from our church. So if you want to participate in that, you can as you're going. Otherwise, have a wonderful Sunday. God bless you.